We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 51. Our guest today is the head honcho of production and development over at Noel Floyd, especially when it comes to the Equestrian Masterclass. I have always loved everything Noel Floyd stands for, and the entire team is an incredible group of women who work super hard and always keep the passion of the horses in the forefront of the brand. So here to talk about her life and how it brought her back to the horse world, here is Erin Lane. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so excited. I, it's early here, but I was really like kind of jumping out of bed because I was so excited to do this today. Oh, good. Well, I mean, it's always good to find stuff to break up the day and get you excited about the day, especially stuff going on now. So pumped that you are pumped, but would love to kind of talk about your life in the equestrian world and, and elsewhere, how you got to where you are today with Noelle Floyd and a little bit of like your riding background. Yeah. Um, how I got here with Noelle Floyd is a really interesting kind of path, but I guess everything kind of starts as most people I think in this world are with just kind of falling in love with horses as a little kid. I actually was born in Atlanta, Georgia, which is not the most horse friendly place. My mom grew up riding and loved it. And I think really wanted me to be like a horse girl. So (laughs) I grew up loving ponies, briar horses and everything. And then my family moved out to Oregon all the way across the country when I was nine. And pretty much the first thing that we did was buy a pony that was legitimately like we drove down the street and bought a pony out of someone's yard. Wow. Like we <laughs> we drove down, saw a pony, stopped, asked if the pony was for sale, bought it for $500. And that was my pony. Amazing. Yeah. So I had Dancer. He was 17 or 18 when I first bought him and had never jumped a jump in his life. So we took him to show barn and was like, Hey, do you think this pony can jump? Oh my Um, gosh. I mean, he could physically jump. He didn't want to. I fell Mm -hmm. off like every five seconds. Um, but (laughs) I was a total barn rat. Um, my parents would just kind of dump me at the barn and leave me all day, which was the best possible thing. Perfect. Um, (laughs) It was the greatest way to grow up as a kid, just kind of running around the barn with everybody else on a $500 pony. And then I became a working student really early to help pay for bills. I think I was 11 or 12, um, stayed a working student at the same barn until I was 20. Um, But off and on, took some breaks to do sports in high school, but was always trying to ride. I really wanted to be a professional rider, like everybody, I think, yeah. at that age. Totally. But it wasn't ever going to be in the cards, I don't think. I just, I didn't have the resources. You know, I couldn't afford to show enough, go to enough clinics. My parents were really supportive and they sent me to a lot of horse shows. But after the pony, I was on a $5,000 thoroughbred that was five years old. And I rode that horse up until he, you know, kind of maxed out. And then I got a, Mm $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of went up that and all I wanted to do was ride, but I'm also really competitive and a little bit hard on myself with some Mm -hmm. things. So 
when I realized that it wasn't going to happen, I took a little bit of a break and moved to Los Angeles in a minivan with nowhere to live to be an actor and work in Hollywood. (laughs) Which is, it's funny to have one dream that people tell you is going to be really hard and then decide to trade it in for another one that is probably harder. (laughs) So I did that. Just an adventure. I was a failed actor as many of us are, but I ended up working in, yeah, it happens to like (laughs) most people, but it was a really fun experience. I mean, not, not always fun. I lived with five people in a two bedroom apartment, but we, you know, I learned a lot. I ended up working in film and television production and made that my career for most of my life for a really long time. So I started working off and on with ESPN, um, with X games when I was, a teenager Hmm. and kept doing that. And that led to working with, you know, other parts of ESPN, Monday night football continued with X games, worked for MTV for a while, then went and worked for a boutique production company and did like a lot of travel stuff, a lot of commercial stuff, like visit California, visit Napa, visit Tahiti. Yeah. And yeah, so I produced a lot, but it always felt like something for me was missing Mm-hmm. A little bit. I would drive past Hunter Jumper Barnes and cry. It's like, I don't understand why you don't do this. And I'm like, because I tried mm-hmm. and it didn't work. Um, yeah. And so what kind of actually got me back into horses was I was working on a, a commercial that involved polo ponies. And this guy had, you know, he was hired to bring the horses. He brought the horses over and just being around horses is the thing that I now realize is what really lights me up. So I was helping him move horses around and he was like, yeah, you know, you seem like you know your way around a horse. Do you want to come exercise horses for me? Oh my um, gosh. Never. He, this man had never met me Yeah, in his life. and was like, Hey, you just come ride. So I started doing that. Um, at this point I lived in San Diego. So I started just going the more I've never, I have, I had never seen polo. Wow. I was not aware that you get on and then you take like four others with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I started exercising horses for him in the morning and he, before work, and he ended up teaching me how to play polo, which got me back into horses and made me kind of fall in love with the sport again. And because it was so different, it was no pressure. It wasn't, I never felt like a failure because it was something I was brand new at. Mm -hmm. It also is just an incredible community of people who are supportive. It's very down to earth. The horses, it doesn't matter what horse you're on. It doesn't matter if you are on, I I bought a paint horse for a thousand dollars and made it my polo pony. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was the coolest experience. I ended up teaching polo and managing the polo club for about a year well, managing part of it with the polo manager. So I did all the sales and marketing, made the magazine. Wow. And that was, I was still working in production, but that was the moment that I started realizing that I, I felt like I was meant to be working with horses again. I just didn't Mm -hmm. know how. Right. So I kind of fluttered around a little bit, figuring out, I knew I wasn't going to be a polo instructor. I'm not very good at polo. I just really like it, (laughs) but I was having a lot of fun teaching. And then I, one night was having a glass of wine with my polo friends. And my girlfriend showed me a two-year-old thoroughbred on sale on Facebook um, for $2,000. And I bought him 
sight unseen <laughs> and have hit, had him mailed to me. Obviously he came in a horse trailer. Yeah. But oh I still have the horse I have now. Like that's my main jumper. And oh. he was completely untrained. He was really cute, but had him had a two thousand dollar thoroughbred mailed to me, kept him in the club for a few years until I decided he should learn to jump. And then mm-hmm. I took him across the street to show park in Del Mar, which a lot of people on the West coast will know, but I was getting married and I was going to be gone for about a month. So I just wanted to find a trainer to train this horse for me for a month while I was gone and a month now turned into, God, I've had five years. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, yeah, I still have that horse. He's my jumper. He's the most difficult animal I've ever had, but that's what got me back into jumping. And now, you know, I'm still trying to find my way in it because I have always had the thing of like, I want to jump big. I want to win. I want to go to all these shows, but realistically for me, I can show maybe like two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. I want a horse that costs $2,000 that I bought on social media and had mailed to me. I never even saw it. (laughs) So it's definitely something I'm figuring out how to navigate, but Mm -hmm. I'm really happy to be back in the sport um, and, you know, back connected to the community. And I think mm-hmm. that for me, that's like the biggest thing is like it, the horses were missing from, I mean, I was always riding. I just wasn't like, I didn't have a horse. I wasn't really riding. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't part of a sport. And for me, that's a big thing. But I think the biggest part that was missing was the community aspect of it. Like growing up at a barn with your horse friends and your barn friends and your trainer, you always have that sense of connection. Right. It's just kind of built in. Yeah. And then when you leave that, people will indulge you and talk to you about horses, but there's something about the horse community that there's such an innate connection between all of these people that, you know, that's part of what I love about social media now um, is it doesn't really matter like what level you're riding at. I'm trying to move up. I would love to do, you know, the meter thirties this year, but I don't know if that's a realistic goal, but nobody cares. They just care that you love horses. So Mm -hmm finding my way back into horse world. I still play polo been a long journey to get there. And it's been weird because I was always like, if I'm not a professional rider, I don't know if I want to ride. Mm. And I think a lot of people go through that, but yeah, now I'm just an adult amateur making my way yes. trying to pay for stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The struggle. I mean, yeah, I think about that all the time that like people always ask me like, Oh, do you have your own horses or when are you going to get your own horse again? And cause I haven't owned a horse since I was in high school. I'm like, I, I'm always like, I'm so thankful. I have so much time or so many other horses uh, of clients and, and that sort of thing to be able to ride and fill my time. And I don't know what I would do if I had to be able to fund all that myself. Cause I, I don't know if I'd be able to ride as definitely not as much as I do. It is a really you know, you know, as a kid, I mean, you kind of have a sense, especially as a working student that it's a lot. And I'm Mm -hmm. so appreciative that my parents worked so hard and basically gave up their retirement to allow me to pursue something that they knew I was passionate about. But as an adult, obviously like I do go through moments of feeling self-conscious about having, you know, the thoroughbreds are great horses, but obviously, you know, the you know, the culture of horse shows and having a thoroughbred that I bought for $2,000 and, you know, going through the struggles with him. And it's, it's very interesting as an adult because it literally costs everything that I have. It costs all my time, all my money. I don't see my friends often. I barely see my husband because I'm either working or riding, Right. but it's not something that you, 
are really prepared for until you're in it. And then, but it's interesting how we will do that. Like, you know, I'll give up there. I will ration my groceries to be able to ride and jump. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's yeah. It's crazy what you will do and what you're willing to sacrifice for making something like that happen. But I mean, it just goes to show that it's obviously meant to be something that, that, you know, you need to be a part of for the rest of your life because it's that important. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you really, I'm sure you feel the same way. Just it's this weird thing that horse people I think have on a soul level. You know, I've done a lot of other stuff work-wise. I'm very fortunate now to get to make this my job in a way that I never envisioned because it didn't exist Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, before when I was a kid, this wasn't a job that existed, but you really can't stay away. Every rider that I know that takes a break, they find their way back to horses somehow. And it doesn't have to be competing. I love to jump and I love to compete and I love Mm -hmm. to play polo. So that's what I'm doing. But you know, my landlord, we have two trail horses at our house because that was the way that she found her way back, but you just can't stay away from it. It's they they get back in your life somehow. Totally. Yeah. I love that. So how would you say, I mean, tell me a little bit about the story of you were working, uh, were you working at the polo club before you or like directly before you started working with Noel Floyd and how did that come to be? Yeah. So that was the beginning of my kind of decision to transition out of a career that had been my only career for a very long time. And I was quite successful at it. You know, I, I worked I worked my ass off to get to the point that I was a producer. You know, you start at the very bottom. You start as a PA where you just say, yes, you're a yes man. You get coffee, you make copies, you do anything. And I worked my way up for over a decade to get to where I was. And I still, I do love to produce because I'm creative and I love to work in a team environment, but I just felt like I had to work in horses again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of knew that work teaching polo lessons and doing sales and marketing at a polo club and managing their PR, like that wasn't a forever thing. It was just something that fell into my lap with a community of people that I really, really liked. Yeah. And then right after I started that, the club lost its lease. So the club in Del Mar had been there for about 30 years on city land and lost its lease to a soccer club. So the club, as we knew it just went away, which Mm. is very sad for a lot of people. Right during that time, I was having this kind of quarter life crisis. And obviously I realized that I'm very fortunate to, you know, have a career to fall back on that I had built a lot of connections and have the opportunity to kind of take a break and figure out what I was going to do. But to me, it was the panic that it's like, oh my gosh, I've worked my whole life, my whole life. You know, at the time I was like 28, Um, but it felt like I'd worked my whole life to do one thing. And I didn't feel like that's what I was supposed to be doing anymore. Mm -hmm. So I really came upon, you know, I followed Noelle Floyd for a a long time. I think at that point she had had the website for about six, five or six years. Um, And it's just a way that I kept up with the world of horse sport and show jumping because it was a world that I used to be so heavily a part of. Right. Um, you know, I knew all the riders. I was working at a show barn. I was at every horse show. And then that was the way that I kind of bridged that gap. I was still riding, but I wasn't part of that world anymore. Right. So it was something that gave me that. And just by chance, I stumbled upon an ad on Facebook that they were looking for a managing editor and 
even though obviously my career had been in journalism or had been in production, I had a journalism background. I went to school for journalism. Okay. I had made the polo magazine. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, go. I'm the editor in chief of the polo magazine, which is actually <laughs> like a pretty, a pretty great magazine. And my trainer, my old trainer and I had decided to start a magazine called Equestrian Confidential um, for amateur riders just by ourselves and figure out how to do it. So I had made a few issues of that. Cool. Um, so I applied and immediately just kind of clicked with the team that they had there and mm-hmm. got brought on as managing editor of the website and the magazine, which we no longer have, but it was a beautiful magazine with amazing yeah. stories. So pretty. I loved it. And it was just, honestly, it was it feels, it feels so silly, but it feels like fate because it was not a job that I would have sought out. Um, and it was not necessarily, it wasn't what I was, I wasn't looking for anything in particular, but I was at this point in my life that all I wanted was to work with horses and I didn't know how, because there was no opening there. Um, but I didn't think, you know, I wasn't a, journalist. I I love to write and I studied that, but I was a television producer. (laughs) I came on to do that. Um, and I loved doing that. And I kind of expressed to Noelle from the beginning that, you know, I loved what kind of the, just the passion that she has for the industry and for every person along the way in it. And the fire that she had behind all of these ideas that she had that she wanted to execute and that I wanted to be part of that, um, Mm -hmm. and grow with the company. And over the last few years, my position there has morphed into what I tell everybody is my dream job that I didn't even knew existed. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me as like, if you had told me this was a job that I could be an equestrian film producer and travel around and produce content that's actually meaningful to people and provides something that is a resource and helps other riders like me, I would have freaked out. Like I would have dropped everything and made that my job, but this this job didn't exist. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's uh, that your story is so encouraging because so many people are in the shoes that you were in a few years back where they're like, I love journalism and I love producing film, but like, how could I make that horsey? I think while we were growing up, um, when you would think about being in the equestrian world, it was either being a a rider or be a trainer. And there was nothing else. And I don't know if, I mean, obviously there were other positions back then, but um, nothing was really talked about in that regard. And then obviously with the addition of media, the way it is now, it's just opened so many doors for people. And I really tell others, like when I talk to people about, you know, my role that literally it, whatever you are interested in now, you can find a way to do that and make it equestrian specific. So I love, I love how your story is a testament to that because it's so true. And it's something that, yeah, as little girls, when you're like, are in school writing down your dream job, like obviously it wasn't around to, to write something like that down, but hopefully for now, for the next generations, um, they will be able to have kind of open doors as far as what they can do, um, in the equestrian world. So I think that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, it really is like, you do feel the sense of if I don't make it as a rider or I don't make it as a trainer that you have to do something else and then use that money to ride, which is also, that's a great way to do it. Yeah. Um, I've always been the kind of person and this is the most millennial thing I could say, but I really 
wanted to do something that I love to do. I want to wake up. I love to work and I learned how to have a good work ethic from being a working student, mm-hmm. but I wanted to do something that I cared about and I was passionate about and I wanted to do something meaningful. And I think that that's where I found a disconnect in commercial production and television production is it was entertaining and it was helpful to our client, but it wasn't impactful. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also was oftentimes subject matter that, you know, I worked in action sports. I don't, yeah, I snowboard, but I'm terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very lucky. And it taught me how to work hard. It taught me how to work 20 hour days and never complain. And it taught me how to work with a team and how to respect the people around you and how to be grateful for the opportunity to be there. So I learned I had to go through that life experience to be able to do this job well, because it does take a certain way of thinking. You, you really have to be all in. Like there's no, we're a small team. Everybody works all the time. I typically work seven days a week. Like there's no kind of phoning it in. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I went through that, but I tell people all the time. I tell the, the gals at my barn, the working students and the kids that, it really, if you work hard enough and you keep persisting, you can find a way like there's not always, it's not always going to be presented. It's not easy to work in horses because it's a limited world. Mm -hmm. Um, but especially now you can find a way to, to make it your life and make it your career somehow. Yeah. You just might have to take a few detours to get there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's so funny. I was going to ask you, um, because I had a similar situation in my life where I did take a break uh, stepped away from the equestrian world for a bit and came back. But I'm also like so thankful because I feel like that made me more appreciative and made me realize kind of like what I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, I think that, I think that's so cool. I feel like I, I find that most people I talk to who do take that time away and come back, I feel you know, the same way. So that's really cool. This episode is so graciously brought to you by Redding Goat Equestrian. Redding Goat Equestrian created outerwear pieces that are waterproof, breathable, and insulated in one technical piece. Yes, top and bottom in one piece. That is perfect whether you're riding in sub-zero temperatures or in a monsoon of rain. And let's be honest, I'm a Floridian and I still wear it during our Florida winters. It is amazing. They also have tons of pockets and pouches to stash your keys, your phone, spurs, you name it. And it also has a beautiful silhouette, so it doesn't look super bulky. You need to see this for yourself. So head on over to Redding Goat Equestrian. That's R-E-D-I-N-G-O-T-E equestrian.com. And you can check out for yourself. See their winter insulated gear as well as their rain gear. Also, be sure to use the code podcast and you'll receive a free tote with any purchase of a suit. Thanks so much, Redding Goat Equestrian. All right, let's head on back to the episode. What kind of um, advice would you give to someone who is looking to kind of jump into the equestrian world in a professional sense, but doesn't really have the connections or, or know how to like plug in to find something like that? You know, I had no connections in this industry by the time that I ended up working in it. Um, people always say it's who you know, and it is in a large part in most industries that way. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, you know, it really depends on what life stage you're at, um, whether you're in college or you've had a career for a while and you're trying to pivot. But to me, it's getting creative and being persistent and not giving up and exploring kind of every avenue and starting somewhere 
that might not be where you want to end up. You know, I, I wanted, obviously now I am the producer of all of our video content. I got Mm -hmm. to work on the masterclass project and lead that, which is what I really care about. But I started as the managing editor working under the editor in chief. Um, Honestly, even though I was at kind of a high point in my career coming from another career, I would have started as an assistant. I I didn't care. I just wanted to get my foot in the door. And I think that that's the most important thing is just get your foot in the door somewhere. And that doesn't even have to be the company you want to work at forever, but Mm -hmm. get your foot in the door and learn, learn what matters in this world. To me, the biggest thing that people appreciate, especially in the equestrian world is hard work. I do believe in work-life balance. I don't think people should kill themselves for work, but I do think that most people that work in this industry work really hard and it stands out if you don't. So Mm -hmm. I think just get in somewhere. If you have to be the person that works two days a week and makes copies and calls to set up appointments while you're still doing your other job, do that if this is really what you want to do. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Being from an outsider in, and Noelle was actually my first podcast guest on the podcast. I know. I I love This is so cool. I need to have her back on. But something that I always talk to with different friends in the industry, other influencers is the idea of learning and being able to gracefully pivot from areas that didn't necessarily work for you. And um, I definitely have areas within my equestrian style and the podcast as well of things that I had planned out, didn't go as planned and had to kind of retweak my focus. Being an outsider in uh, looking at Noel Floyd, obviously you had the magazine and the um, online shop, the subscription box, things like that. And you have found a way, I think, to like so gracefully pivot to find your your like hot spot, which I think is the masterclass. And it seems like it's been super successful, but it took a little, you know, it was kind of a winding road to get there. What is kind of your insight being, you know, in the, in the inside of Noel Floyd? You know, it, we're a really small team and we're a really close team. I'm very lucky to be able to call the people that I work with and especially my CEO, really close friends of mine. So we've been through a lot yeah. together. I started at the company right when we launched all of those initiatives. So it was right when, you know, things were pivoting from being just a show jumping focused website to being inclusive of all horse sports and launching shop, um, the sub box, continuing with the growth of the magazine. We had a lot of ideas. We had insider at the time. So we Mm -hmm. kind of branched off into teams. Um, we were a bit larger of a team at that point and we're a bit smaller now that we're more focused, but we learned so much during that. And we had to go through that adventure to be able to get to where we are now. Because at that time, we didn't have the idea for Equestrian Masterclass yet. It It was out somewhere in the universe, but it wasn't with us yet. And we were just really getting to know our people and getting to know our community and what was missing there. And sometimes in business, you have to go through kind of a rocky road to be able to find where the gaps are and then really hone in there. So it wasn't that anything we did was a failure. It just wasn't the right direction for us or Mm -hmm. for our audience and our customers. So what we tried to do through that, and it was not easy. It was really hard. Um, We were all killing ourselves to make this stuff work. Everyone was 
on the same team, but it was really difficult. We cried. We had moments. It was, we just wanted to serve the community and we just weren't hitting our mark yet. You know, the magazine was great. People really loved it, but that's also not, that's more of something that we did just to have it out there because it's not something that really brought a lot of income back into the company. Right. Right. So we kept looking for that thing. Like what's that thing that will have an impact and actually mean something to the people that we care about and also help keep this company in a position that it can grow. Mm -hmm. And from doing, we knew people loved video. Um, Our videos are always really popular. People love seeing kind of the inside, the real life of these top riders. And we started putting out, you know, pro tips and uh, bit by bit and things that were a little bit educational and getting really good feedback there. And I think we all kind of came to this point eventually there's this fulcrum point that we were like, we need to hone in on one thing and we have this idea and it's a very big idea and it might fail, but we need to put everything into it and try it. And that idea was equestrian masterclass. We literally went to Wellington and walked around the horse show and talked to people like Ian Miller and Ann Krasinski and said, Hey, we have an idea that has never been done before. Um, We can't show you anything do you want to teach a masterclass? Um, (laughs) It it still blows my mind today that the first person we ever filmed was Ian Miller because the man has been in 10 Olympics. Yeah. (laughs) It was the wild, like all of my childhood horse girl dreams were coming true. Literally. Yeah. It was not an easy path. And Mm -hmm. when we first started masterclass, we had this big idea of comprehensive multi-part equestrian education courses. So not just here's an exercise to help with this, but really understanding the why and giving people access to the best equestrian education for a really great price. So that, you know, if you don't have a trainer or you can't go to clinics or Mm -hmm. you obviously most people were never going to ride with Ian or Anne. So we really wanted to explore doing something like that and also explore adding a lot of other support in with like mental coaches, um, you know, deal with people's anxiety and their nerves and also creating a Facebook group to have support. So it was just this big idea right. that we were in this place that we're like, listen, it's do or die. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try this. We think that it matters. Um, we think we can build it. And when that started to take off, we started to see that this is something that our community really cares about and is passionate mm-hmm. about. And so we started diverting more and more resources and it's now a kind of our primary avenue of our business. Um, along, obviously we still have the editorial on the website because that's something that has been, you know, a huge kind of focus for a long time. That's what the business was founded on, mm-hmm. but yeah, education has been something that I think gets us all fired up. It's so rewarding to have people write in and tell you the difference that it makes in their lives. Oh, and yeah. that's what's really fueled it. So it, you know, I'm sure from the outside, it was probably confusing for people to see, you know, you guys were doing the sub box and we loved it. So why are now it's gone and now you're doing this and none of those decisions were easy and they were all, you know, Noel had a really tough job leading our, you know, being the captain of the ship. And we're very lucky to have a CEO that not only cares about all of us and our livelihood, but also she just really cares about 
doing something that matters and mm-hmm. doing the right thing by the community. So she had to make some tough calls, but we ended up finding our stride here and it's just been growing and we're so excited for the future so cool. with this. That's awesome. That's amazing. I mean, it makes, and it makes the story again, kind of like you taking your time away um, from riding and finding your way back to it. Just like with Noel Floyd, kind of uh, having that windy road of a learning experience to getting to where you are today with the masterclass is so cool and so rewarding. It was tough because the members of our team that were running the other departments are some of like the most talented people that I've ever met. And if anyone could have made them those avenues succeed, it was those people. Mm-hmm. And my dream would be to have that. And I'm sure it's Noel's dream too, is to have all of those people just working on masterclass, but it, you know, we are a small business and we are a small company. So mm-hmm. we had to kind of flail around a little bit um, and find this, but totally. yeah, now I remember being excited you know, obviously when we first launched and when we, when we hit 200 people in the Facebook group, I was like, Oh my God, we have 200 people. This is yeah, so amazing. Yeah. They all this care. is actually working. <laughs> yeah. And now we have like 3000 people in the Facebook group, yeah. which obviously we still want that to grow, but it's just been the coolest thing. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. I love, I love the masterclass and love what you guys are doing with it. And even, um, like, I feel like it's a little unique, um, in my perspective, being a young professional, um, because I was like, Oh, I feel like something's missing in the industry. Like I would love to be able to continue to learn. Um, because obviously like I'm only like, I'm only 27. Like I still like need to continue my education. And there weren't a lot of places out there. Um, I was getting some information from the, um, USCF learning center. Um, but I think the kind of dynamic that the masterclass has is so special because it is bringing specific professionals. Like you were saying, like, I probably won't be taking a clinic from Ian Miller anytime soon. And I like, you know, it's just one of those things that's like so special and it's such kind of like a once in a lifetime thing that you guys have made available to any equestrian, um, to really learn. And, and obviously, um, someone like Ian Miller, um, has so much, important knowledge to share that it's like tapping into those different resources has been such a a cool kind of avenue for you guys to do. I feel like I've learned so much already from it. So it's been, it's been really cool. Um, I remember watching your Facebook group group go up to and be like, yeah, it's so awesome. I mean, I, I experienced the same thing when I, when we launched our first equestrian workshop earlier this year, I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, if like, two people sign up. That's a win. And that's okay. Like, it's okay. We can get rid of the whole, we can like scrap the whole thing and no one will ever remember. I'm like, we, but you know, it still is worth trying because I was convinced and and my partner Leah was convinced that we're like this, like people would like this and people would need this. So, um, it's really cool that you guys saw the need. We're able to just be tough, make it work, launch it out, see what would happen. And um, obviously it worked in your favor for sure. Cause people are loving it. I'm so happy that, you know, that it's something that helps you. And I feel like you with the workshop, you're in a similar position because it's about providing a resource to people that they didn't have before. Right. Um, and that's why I love the Facebook group so much too, because the community is a really big part of that and watching people, have cheer each other on and answer each other's questions and share their videos and share their photos is that's what fires me up for my job every day. Yeah, um, that's the whole point. Yeah. And it's just that kind of mission 
for us, especially, you know, for me personally, I feel like accessibility is a really big issue in our community, especially in the hunter jumper world. Sure. It's not an accessible sport. It takes a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of sacrifices, and not everyone is in the position to be able to do that. Right. Um, but a lot of people want to learn um, and they want to get better and they want to have knowledge and support. And that's why, that's why I do this. That's why I work seven days a week, not because I have to, but because I remember being the kid that didn't have the money that I was braiding at three o'clock in the morning, working all day while trying to show never got to clinic. I had a great trainer, which put me in a more fortunate position than a lot of other people, but it's just accessibility is such a problem and we're not going to change the culture overnight. Like it's not going to be all of a sudden horses cost $2,000 and trainers, you know, are available to everyone and everyone can Mm -hmm. clinic because I do realize it's an industry. People have to make their living and there's a certain status quo now, but I just really want every, I want all riders to feel equal first of all, because I think that's also something that a lot of comparisonitis. We all, even as an adult, like, I have no reason to compare myself to other riders, but I still do it. I still show Mm -hmm. up and I'm like, I'm not on the nicest horse. I don't show very often. And I just don't, I don't ever want any rider to feel less than because just by the fact that, you know, you're riding and you're putting the work in and you care about it. Like that's all that really matters. So it's a win right there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I just want people to be able to, if they want to learn, they should be able to learn. Um, and it shouldn't, cost your entire paycheck. And obviously we do charge for a membership because that's what allows us to keep producing the videos. But we try, you know, it's $20 a month because we wanted it to be something that every rider could access. And, you know, in the future, we have a lot of ideas for things we want to do with like scholarships and supporting riders in other ways. But for right now, we just wanted to make accessible education, but education just because it's accessible doesn't mean it should be mediocre. (laughs) I know we've like probably touched on quite a few already in this episode, but I love to ask if there's an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't talk a lot about or um, doesn't know a lot about that you'd like to shed some light on. I think that the two areas that are really lacking are accessibility and kind of an openness about that, about, you know, this is hard. This is not available to everyone and what can we do as a community to make it available? You know, I went to a horse show last year where they made, you know, in Temecula in California that they made classes for young horses free and classes mm. for thoroughbreds free. And that's, wow. those are the kind of steps that I think are really helpful to the people who care about the sport and are doing everything they can to be part of it. And then I think education is a really, you know, it's, it's a big gap because you kind of just follow this. Like I should have a trainer. I should mm-hmm. do this, but not everyone has the ability to have a really great trainer. And even if mm-hmm. you do have a great trainer, anybody from any other sport, especially, you know, top level Olympic sports will tell you that you can never learn too much. You know, even the top of right. the top, the best trainers are still learning. Yeah. So I do think that people feel like they get to a certain point. And they're like, Oh, I don't need to keep learning. I'm here. Mm-hmm. But I think education is is a really important thing and to learn from as many people as you can. So I feel like if we just all 
become, you know, keep talking about things and it stops being taboo to talk about like, Oh yeah. My horse was $3,000 or $2,000 or whatever. That's still a ton of money. Like, right. A lot of, (laughs) um, and for people to feel comfortable if they show or don't show, or if they mm-hmm. have one hot coat, or if they have pants that are 30 years old, or it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. Like what matters is that you love the sport. So mm-hmm. I feel like the more we talk about it and the more different companies and different leaders in the industry start making accessibility important, um, right. education important, that we're just going to keep growing as community and getting better. And I do feel like we're already, we're slowly taking the steps to get there. Like it does feel like it's becoming more inclusive and it's, it's less, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and obviously we're all going to feel that pressure. But I think that social media is really helpful. I mean, it's really harmful in a lot of ways because it's easy to compare yourself, but it's also helpful because it lets people connect and realize that it's not just them, that they're not Mm -hmm. alone and everyone's in a different place in their life, but yeah, that's yeah. something I feel like will hopefully continue to evolve in the sport. Totally. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, Erin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the equestrian podcast today. You have been a wealth of knowledge. So I think that's been super helpful to kind of see and get an inside scoop to one of the biggest powerhouses in the equestrian world today, as far as media goes. So thank you for all the work that you're doing and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Um, it's been so, I feel like I could just chat with you all day long because I have right? so, so many things that I want to ask you too about your workshop and everything, but you know, we'll catch up again, but thank you so much for having me on. This has been amazing. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.